0: This is Dr. Grain Glass. I'm a plastic and craniofacial surgeon based at Sidra Medicine, Doha, Qatar, and an associate professor of clinical surgery at Wilcornell Medical College. Today I'm going to read my paper, Photobiomodulation, The Clinical Applications of Low-Level Light Therapy, which was published in the Cosmetic Medicine section of the recent edition of the Aesthetic Surgery Journal. The rationale for this paper is that an increasing number of my patients are asking for my opinion on uh, light-based skin rejuvenation which is certainly something that has gained a lot of traction in uh, the non-surgical aesthetics industry uh, of late and i think it's really important that as clinicians we understand the rationale behind these therapies so that we can engage with our patients and advise them accordingly paper begins as follows abstract background low level light therapy is a recent addition to the pantheon of light based therapeutic interventions the absorption of red and near infrared light energy a process termed photobiomodulation enhances mitochondrial atp production cell signaling and growth factor synthesis and attenuates oxidative stress Photobiomodulation is now highly commercialized with devices marketed directly to the consumer. In the gray area between the commercial and therapeutic sectors, harnessing the clinical potential in reproducible and scientifically measurable ways remains challenging. Objectives. The aim of this article was to summarize the clinical evidence for photobiomodulation and discuss the regulatory framework for this therapy. Methods. A review of the clinical literature pertaining to the use of low-level light therapy for skin rejuvenation, facial and dyschromias, acne vulgaris, wound healing, body contouring, and androgenic alopecia was performed. Results. A reasonable body of clinical trial evidence exists to support the role of low-energy red and near-infrared light as a safe and effective method of skin rejuvenation, treatment of acne vulgaris and alopecia, and especially body contouring. Methodologic flaws, small patient cohorts, and industry funding mean there is ample scope to improve the quality of the evidence. It remains unclear if light-emitting diode sources induce physiological effects of comparable nature and magnitude to those of the laser-based systems used in most of the higher-quality studies. Conclusion Low-level light therapy is here to stay. However, its ubiquity and commercial success have outpaced empirical approaches on which solid clinical evidence is established. Thus, the challenge is to prove its therapeutic utility in retrospect. Well-designed, adequately powered, independent clinical trials will help us answer some of the unresolved questions and enable the potential of this therapy to be realized. Light and skin aging. As we age, so inevitably does our skin. Intrinsic skin aging occurs as a result of the relentless passage of time whereas extrinsic aging arises as the cumulative result of our environmental exposures. With age, progressive loss of telomere length leads to cellular senescence and a failure of cell-mediated tissue regeneration, the histopathologic manifestations of which include thinning of both the epidermis and dermis, flattening of the reet ridges, and decline in synthesis of type 1 collagen changes in soft tissue volume and distribution and in the structure of the skeletal framework lead to age associated facial aging concurrently extrinsic changes manifest as loss of tone and elasticity caused by fragmentation of collagen elastin and anchoring fibrils induced by alterations in the ratio of matrix metalloproteinase to metalloproteinase inhibitor expression loss of extracellular matrix glycosaminoglycans and pigmentary variations due to localized changes in melanocyte and melanosome activity. The basis for extrinsic aging is free radical damage to nuclear and mitochondrial DNA, cellular proteins, and cellular and mitochondrial membrane lipoproteins causing apoptosis and necrosis. Modulating these manifestations of aging is both a societal preoccupation and a growth industry projected to be worth $10 billion annually within the next few years. The use of light as a therapeutic intervention is an ancient concept. In its modern incarnation, light therapy probably began with selective use of ultraviolet radiation to treat lupus vulgaris, an innovation for which the Nobel Prize for Medicine was awarded in 1903. Recently, low-level light therapy has been added to the pantheon of light-based therapies. This type of therapy is based on photobiomodulation, a cascade of clinically and aesthetically beneficial cellular responses to non-ablative red and near-infrared light. Before we evaluate the clinical evidence for the use of low level light therapy, we will first examine this option in the context of other light based therapies utilized by aesthetic surgeons and practitioners. Lasers. Over the past 30 years, lasers have become a well established method of energy delivery to the skin for the purpose of inducing the tissue repair cascade photo rejuvenation. The therapeutic utility lies with the specificity of the monochromatic light for a specific photoacceptor molecule, chromophores. Additionally, the light is monophasic, collimated, polarized and coherent and these features may confer additional photobiomodulatory advantages. Where the chromophore absorbs light energy, adjacent molecules do not. When the chromophore is water, the major constituents of cell cytoplasm and extracellular matrix. Cell lysis and protein denaturation induces an immune response and hence the wound healing cascade. Ablative laser rejuvenation, for example CO2 laser treatment, results in loss of the epidermal barrier, whereas non-ablative laser rejuvenation, for example the ND-YAG laser, penetrates the dermis without disturbing the overlying epidermis. Pigment, epilides and lentigines and haemoglobin, telangiectasias, may also be targeted specifically the efficacy of laser photo rejuvenation is well supported but traditional lasers are expensive and subject to stringent regulation making them suitable only for use in a clinical setting moreover an arrow beam width limits their use for the rejuvenation of large surface areas unless directed by an experienced practitioner intense pulse light The traditional non-ablative alternative to laser resurfacing is intense or intermittent pulse light IPL therapy which uses pulses of high energy polychromatic light to heat target tissue filters are sometimes used to achieve a degree of selectivity for target chromophores again the theoretical principle is based on photothermalysis but IPL delivering light at wavelengths of between 500 and 1200 nanometers exhibits less chromophore selectivity than monochromatic lasers even when filters are used and relies on the fact that the chromophores may effectively absorb light energy within a range of wavelength either side of their absorption peak. IPL, filtered to selectively remove light at shorter wavelengths and delivered at a fluence of 30 to 60 joules per square centimetre, has been shown to be efficacious in the management of superficial ritids and vascular lesions. The perceived advantages of IPL over lasers include versatility of clinical use owing to the use of different filters and the large footprint enabling swift coverage of large surface areas. The disadvantages include the lack of chromophore specificity. IPL has also found favour when used in conjunction with topically applied or systemic photosensitizers, which accumulate in target tissue and are activated by changes in molecular structure following absorption of light energy. This technique is the basis for photodynamic therapy, or PDT. Low-level light therapy. Around 50 years ago, experiments were performed to establish the oncologic safety of low-energy defocused red laser light by irradiating shaved murine skin. The investigators found no evidence of neoplastic changes, but did observe an unexpected acceleration in subsequent hair regrowth. The same group later observed enhanced wound healing in various wound models following irradiation with defocused red laser light. Subsequent in vitro experiments reported enhanced cell proliferation following irradiation. In the 1970s, 80s and early 90s, Carew and colleagues undertook much of the experimental work that was crucial in unravelling the physiological mechanisms responsible for these findings. They established that activation of cytochrome C oxidase boosts mitochondria chondrial ATP production which in turn enhances the metabolic activity of the cell. Simultaneously regulation of the reduction oxidation redox state of the intracellular microenvironment favours the expression of genes associated with tissue regeneration and repair. Immune modulation ensures a coordinated regenerative effort. Crucially these processes take place in the absence of inciting tissue injury, photothermal effects or photoacoustic effects. Simultaneously, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, was at the forefront of the development of light-emitting diodes with near monochromatic light at the red, 670 and 720 nanometers, and near infrared, 880 nanometers, end of the visible spectrum. Initially designed for plant growth experiments in space, these LEDs were also found to enhance cellular perforation in vitro. And improve wound healing in a number of experimental and clinical studies. These findings led to speculation that LEDs might be used not only to minimize tissue atrophy among astronauts at zero gravity, but might also be employed as an alternative source of light for photorejuvenation. Today, low level light therapy, being the method by which photobiomodulation is induced, is in widespread use. As with IPL before it, it has taken many years for the therapeutic potential of photobiomodulation to become generally accepted, and controversies remain. Because LEDs operate at power levels below that which is considered by the FDA to constitute a medical hazard, they have not been subject to therapeutic device regulation, and this has paved the way for the commercial exploitation. The number of controllable variables, including wavelength, spatial coherence, polarity, which is the geometric orientation of the light wave with respect to the direction of travel, Pulse structure, fluence, the total energy per unit area, irradiance, the energy density, and exposure frequency have rendered low-level light therapy challenging to study through clinical trials and systematic reviews. A great deal of preclinical research has now been done to optimize these parameters. To summarize, the physiologic potential of photobiomodulation cannot be harnessed by light at one wavelength alone. Red and near-infrared light is associated with the proliferation of a number of cell lines across different species. The optimal fluence is probably no greater than about 4 joules per square centimetre. When it contacts tissue, coherent laser light produces an event known as speckle, and the resultant polarisation phenomenon allows light to be absorbed by deep tissues, an intensity threshold sufficient to initiate desirable biochemical cascades. Speckle and polarisation do not arise with LED illumination and this has led some to postulate that low level light therapy delivered by laser light is more effective when the target lies deeper than a few millimetres. Studies examining the polarity of light have yielded some interesting data but polarity and coherence remain intimately connected and there is not yet enough experimental evidence to inform clinical practice. A diagrammatic summary of the physiological effects of low-level light therapy is shown in Figure 1. Figure 1. Diagrammatic summary of the effects of red, near-infrared and blue light on epidermis, dermis, sebaceous glands, hair follicles and subcutaneous fat. The diagram demonstrates that red and near-infrared light have effects on melanosome regulation, the recruitment of fibroblasts, the synthesis of growth factors, inflammatory modulation by the inhibition of COX2-mediated prostaglandin synthesis, nitric oxide-mediated vasodilation, the recruitment of cells of innate immunity and the recruitment of cells of adaptive immunity, while blue light induces nitric oxide-mediated vasodilatation and free radical toxicity to propionibacterium acnes. The commercialization of low-level light therapy. There are many commercially available LED devices for skin rejuvenation. Some of these systems are designed for clinical use, although the majority have been marketed directly to the consumer for domestic use. Most have proprietary elements or innovations to differentiate them from their competitors. An exhaustive list is beyond the scope of this paper. See supplemental table. The efficacy of low-level light therapy has been investigated by way of preclinical proof-of-concept studies and clinical trials for a number of indications of interest to plastic and or aesthetic surgeons. A review of the literature was conducted as described below. Methods. A list of therapeutic indications for low-level light therapy was established by literature review performed by the author and repeated by two librarian colleagues as per acknowledgements. Thus, three independent searches were performed. Discrepancies were handled by the sole author who made the final decision on source inclusion. The search was conducted with Google Scholar, PubMed, Ovid Medline, the Cochrane Database of Systematic Reviews and the Cochrane Controlled Trials Registry, searched June 6, 2020. For each indication of relevance to plastic and or aesthetic surgeons, the literature was examined to establish the existence or otherwise of proof of efficacy in principle and peer-reviewed clinical evidence of efficacy and or safety. In each case, the parameters of light were noted, including the source, the wavelength, the fluence, as well as the characteristics of the study, including participants, therapeutic protocol, objective outcome measures and findings. Synthesis of the evidence took the form of a narrative review, as the source data were too heterogeneous to be able to draw meaningful conclusions from systematic review methodology. For the same reason, it was not possible to conduct a meta-analysis of the data for any indication. Exclusion criteria. Only low-level light therapy was considered here. Focused laser therapy, IPL, and photodynamic therapy were excluded. Established Or experimental uses for low-level light therapy that fall out with the remit of plastic and aesthetic surgeons such as psoriasis, joint pain, neonatal jaundice, and seasonal affective disorder were also excluded. Low-quality clinical trials that relied exclusively on subjective outcome measures were not considered. Results. Low-level light therapy for skin rejuvenation. Skin rejuvenation is the focus of much of the experimental and clinical evidence for light therapy. The experimental evidence for low-level light therapy and skin rejuvenation can be subdivided into the evidence for collagen and extracellular matrix regeneration, regulation of melanogenesis, regulation of sebum production, perifollicular inflammation, and microbial activity. The experimental findings translate to studies examining the influence of low-level light therapy on facial ritids, dyschromias, and acne vulgaris, and each will be considered in turn. Facial Ritids, a proof of concept phase two study evaluating the morphologic histology of human skin samples harvested from six volunteers after exposure of LED phototherapy at 633 nanometers. Omnilux Revive Global Med Technologies, Napa, California. Eight sessions over eight weeks at 94 joules per square centimeter reported increased numbers of dermal fibroblasts and increased numbers of mitochondrial and vermectin filaments, hence metabolic activity, within the fibroblasts after treatment. In a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled split-phase clinical trial of LED phototherapy for skin rejuvenation, Lee et al. observed enhanced fibroblast activity, collagen and elastin synthesis, and expression of the pro-inflammatory cytokines interleukin-1-beta, interleukin-6, and tumor necrosis factor alpha and tissue inhibitors of matrix metalloproteinase TIMP1 and TIMP2 in response to LED light at 830 nanometers, 633 nanometers, or both alternately for 20 minutes twice per week. The observed effects persisted for up to 12 weeks after cessation of therapy. Clinically, this manifested as reduced wrinkles and improved skin elasticity, measures objectively by profilometric evaluation of silicone imprints and the use of a device to measure skin elasticity, Cutometer, Courage, and Kazaka Electronic, GmbH, Cologne, Germany, respectively. These data suggested that red and near-infrared light promote skin rejuvenation and did so through mechanisms akin to tissue healing following trauma, as has been observed in other wound healing studies. Similarly, Weiss et al. reported improvements in skin appearance Profilometric smoothness and dermal collagen deposition in a pulsed LED device at 590 nanometers twice weekly for four weeks, delivering 0.1 joules per square centimetre per treatment. The study was non-randomised, non-controlled and partially blinded. A number of additional studies have also been published, yielding variable results as summarised in Table 1. Table 1. Clinical trials of low-level light therapy alone for facial retids quantifiable objective measures only. This table summarises six clinical trials and the data were largely positive or in favour of low-level light therapy improving facial retids. However, there were some methodological concerns as detailed in the notes for the table. This table Exclude self reported and subjective outcomes that almost all studies included as part of the results. Example of the author's experience with photorejuvenation using low level light therapy are shown in Figure 2. Figure 2 clinical example of skin rejuvenation, reticence, and dyschromias with low level light therapy. A 73 year old female treated with a home use dual wavelength low level light therapy device at 680 and 808 nanometers for 20 minutes per day for 12 weeks. Figure 2a is the pre-treatment and figure 2b is one week after discontinuation of treatment. The figure demonstrates clear improvement in uh, facial ritids and dyschromias with the use of the dual wavelength low-level light therapy device. Dyschromias Lan et al. irradiated melanoblast and melanocyte cell lines with low-energy helium-neon laser at 632.8 nanometers and demonstrated that low-level light therapy induced responses that were dependent on the maturation stage of the cell. Melanoblast exhibited enhanced migration, whereas melanocytes exhibited enhanced melanogenesis. They further demonstrated melanocyte proliferation by the helium-neon laser and provided evidence in support of mitochondrial focus for the stimulus in keeping with our understanding of the role of mitochondrial ATP production in the physiology of photobiomodulation in a review of therapeutic interventions for vitiligo mandel et al mentioned hitherto unpublished data in which they observe marked repigmentation in two-thirds of patients treated with a prolonged regimen five days per week for six to eight months of low-energy laser therapy at 623 nanometers. Yu et al. demonstrated variable repigmentation in 30 patients with vitiligo treated with a helium neon laser at three joules per square centimeter. After a mean of 16 treatments, that's once to twice weekly, 60% of patients exhibited at least 50% repigmentation per surface area of the lesion. The study was not blinded, and the maintenance therapy protocol was advocated after the results stabilized in order to maintain the repigmentation. A later trial by the same group, this time comprising 40 patients with segmental vitiligo of the head and neck region, used a helium neon laser at 632.8 nanometers and 3 joules per square centimeter. After a mean of 17 sessions, greater than 50% repigmentation was observed in 60% of the treatment cohort. Moreover, The study identified the dysfunctional cutaneous blood flow in the vitiligo lesions, a finding that was normalized by treatment with the laser. By contrast, a single study of the combination of blue and red LED-based light therapy for acne vulgaris in 24 patients with Fitzpatrick type 4 skin observed an incidental skin lightening effect, which, on further analysis, was attributed to the red light. Despite anecdotal reports, this has not been confirmed in the clinical literature. Low-level light therapy for acne vulgaris. The elimination of facial blemishes, comedones, papules and pustules by low-level light therapy has also attracted interest. Acne vulgaris has been defined as a chronic inflammatory disease of the pylosebaceous unit, resulting from androgen-induced increased sebum production, Altered keratinization, inflammation and bacterial colonization of hair follicles by propionibacterium acnes. Red and infrared light is believed to have a beneficial effect on actin vulgaris by increasing keratinocyte turnover and inducing an anti-inflammatory microenvironment. The other experimental area of interest is bacterial colonization for which the physiologic response to low-level light therapy is quite different. The influence of light irradiation on bacterial species varies with the species concerned and the wavelength and irradiance of the light source. Propionibacterium synthesize and store porphyrins, which are photosensitive molecules. The absorption of blue light by porphyrins with an absorption peak of between 380 and 440 nanometers causes a photochemical reaction with the formation of free radicals that in turn kill the host bacteria. This phenomenon has also been observed for other bacterial species and can be exploited to manage acne vulgaris with light treatment. A double-blind randomized controlled trial of a single treatment of pulsed eye laser at 585 nanometers for the management of mild to moderate inflammatory facial acne revealed a rapid reduction in lesion burden by four weeks, which persisted until 12 weeks at the conclusion of the study. Conversely, another randomized controlled trial, conducted around the same time, did not find any significant improvements using the Pulse Dye laser. Interestingly, this study was designed as a split-face study with the contralateral untreated side serving as the control. The authors observed improvements in both sides, which may have accounted for the lack of statistical proof of efficacy and perhaps hinted at generalized effects, including the effect of non-ablated Pulse Dye laser on the growth and perhaps regional or even systemic expression of growth factors including transforming growth factor beta 1. Some studies have also reported successful outcomes with a 532 nanometer KTP laser and a 1450 nanometer diode laser alone or in combination with the pulsed eye laser. However, other studies have yielded equivocal or difficult to interpret results. A small, single-blinded, randomized controlled trial of 26 patients and 15 controls with mild to moderate active vulgaris reported that exposure to blue light at 414 nanometers every second day for eight weeks resulted in a significant reduction in inflammatory lesions. These findings have been supported by a number of additional studies of variable methodologic quality and the use of home blue light LED devices for the treatment of acne is now commercially supported. A randomized controlled trial of 107 patients with mild to moderate acne vulgaris revealed that a combination of blue, 450 nanometers, and red, 660 nanometers light delivered by fluorescent lamps produced a significant improvement which was greater than with blue light alone and for inflammatory lesions performed better than benzoyl peroxide, the positive control. Similarly, a randomised control trial of combination blue and red LED therapy involving 35 patients reported significant reductions in both inflammatory and non-inflammatory lesions, sebum output and sebaceous gland size. Two smaller studies of 24 and 22 patients with mild to severe acne vulgaris treated with a combination of blue 450 nm and red 633 nm LED light Also revealed improvements in lesion count from the baseline over the 8 to 12 week duration of follow up, respectively. In one study, the patients also underwent microdermabrasion, but these studies were neither randomized into different treatment groups nor were the researchers blinded to the treatment method. A study of 22 adolescents randomized to receive weekly salicylic acid peels or a combination of light therapy using 470 nanometer LED. And a 660 nanometer red laser concluded that phototherapy was at least as effective as the positive control. A pilot study found the combination of blue 450 nanometers and near infrared 830 nanometer LED therapy to be less effective. As Hamilton et al. concluded in their review of the subject, the existing trial data are limited by short follow-up times, the exclusion of more severe acne in the study protocols, and the lack of direct comparisons with conventional acne treatments. Low-level light therapy for androgenic alopecia. Androgenic alopecia remains a phenomenon for which many theories have been proposed, but which remains incompletely understood. Notwithstanding the fact that the very first observation of a beneficial physiological effect of low-level light was hair regrowth, phototrichogenesis also remains incompletely understood. The evidence for the use of low-level light therapy in the treatment of androgenic alopecia has been reviewed several times, most recently in 2019. Lou et al. also performed a meta-analysis of the study data, which included 11 randomized controlled trials from 8 publications and a total of 667 test subjects, of whom approximately 40% were female. The reviews All reported that low-level light therapy was efficacious in improving mean hair density and hair thickness with minimal side effects. And the meta-analysis supported the claim of efficacy for mean hair density with no discernible gender difference. Interestingly, subgroup meta-analysis suggested that a low frequency of treatment, so less than 60 minutes per week, was actually more efficacious. Although the results are encouraging, there was heterogeneity between studies. Although most studies use light at wavelengths of 630 to 660 nanometers, some use dual wavelength devices. Total fluence also varied between studies. Moreover, nine of the 11 randomized controlled trials were manufacturer-funded, and seven of the 11 trials, one or more of the authors, had a direct commercial interest in the device being tested. In fact, the only study that declared no conflicts of interest was also the only study to report that subjective self-assessment data yielded no significant difference in perception of change. It is interesting to observe that low-level light therapy has been shown to inhibit both androgen-mediated sebum production and androgen-mediated hair loss, but as yet, the true influence of low-level light therapy and androgenic receptors of the pilosebaceous unit remain a matter of speculation. Low-level light therapy for wound healing the influence of low level light therapy on fibroblast and myofibroblast growth and differentiation is well established. In addition, preclinical studies based on a number of wound healing models have provided proof in principle of enhanced wound healing following low energy laser irradiation. Prabdu and colleagues examined the biostimulatory effect of the helium neon laser at 632.8 nanometers in a murine study and revealed enhanced wound healing in an environment of reduced inflammatory stigmata, which was confirmed by both histology and laser-induced fluorescence. Similarly, Yazukawa et al demonstrated enhanced wound healing by way of greater scar strength and reduced inflammation, with the optimal result falling in a radiation protocol of around four joules per square centimeter every other day. A human experimental wo- abrasion wound model Treated with a diode laser at 820 nanometers and 8 joules per square centimeter exhibited enhanced wound healing compared with sham controls. Interestingly, wounds were produced in duplicate in the experimental model and the adjacent untreated wounds also exhibited enhanced wound healing relative to the sham controls or their adjacent untreated wounds. Crucially, this suggests a wider physiological effect than simply the area irradiated. The clinical outcomes of laser-based low-level light therapy and the management of diabetic wounds have been examined elsewhere and will not be reiterated here. A number of surgical wounds have been treated with low-level light therapy. Two split-mouth studies examining re epithelialization after gingivectomy with or without gingivoplasty reported enhanced healing on the low-level light therapy treated side. Low-level light therapy has also been shown to enhance the healing of intraoral bony and palatal mucosal defects. Additional reports provide evidence for the role of low-level light therapy in enhancing healing of burns and in the appearance of surgical scars, but high-quality randomized controlled trials are lacking. Some anecdotal accounts of wound healing with LED-based low-level light therapy have been published, but it is difficult to define the role of LED-based low-level light therapy based on these data. Low-level light therapy for body contouring. Non-invasive body contouring and or localised subcutaneous fat reduction remain a hugely popular alternative to surgical fat loss. The main options available include cryolipolysis, high-intensity focus ultrasound, radiofrequency ablation, and low-level light therapy. The physiologic mechanism responsible for low-level light therapy induced subcutaneous adipolysis is incompletely understood. Hypotheses include light-induced transitory pore formation within the lipid cell membranes, with the loss of lipid contents into the interstitial space, alterations in adipocyte lipid metabolism without liquefaction, and a generalized alteration in adipocyte behavior secondary to reduce oxidative stress, with the resultant increase in adiponectin secretion and reduction in insulin resistance. Whereas the first two hypotheses consider the actions of low level light therapy to be local, the third proposes a systemic effect. Neera et al supplemented their microscopic study with a radiologic study on performing an MRI to confirm the radiologic effects of tumescent infiltration on subcutaneous fat. They observed a change in the radiologic signal after low-level light therapy treatment with the almost complete homo- homogeneity of the fat signal, which they attribute to the release of fat into the interstitial space. An animal model designed to investigate the subcutaneous effect of irradiating subcutaneous fat with light energy utilised the dorsal fat pad of rats and the gallium-aluminium-arsenide laser-induced light at 670 nanometers uh, with variable fluencies. Although changes in brown fat, including coalescence and fusion, were observed, no changes akin to lipolysis were observed in the yellow fat component. Because the differences observed in the clinical and preclinical studies might be due to study design, the mechanism remains incompletely elucidated. In general, the first clinical studies evaluated the use of low-level light therapy as an adjunct to other measures. Nira and Ortiz Nira published a personal case series of 700 patients who had undergone low-level light therapy-assisted liposculpture. The technique utilized 635 nanometer diode laser at 14 milliwatts applied to the infiltrated area for 6 to 12 minutes prior to liposuction. They reported subjective improvements in the ease of performing liposuction as well as aesthetic contour and skin retraction with the use of the laser. Jackson et al. performed a multi-center double-blind placebo-controlled randomized clinical trial of low-level light therapy-assisted liposculpture. 70 patients were included. They utilized the Xerona Laser, Arconia Medical Inc, McKinney, Texas, emitting light at 635 nanometers and 14 milliwatts. When applied for 12 minutes preoperatively operatively after tumescent infiltration, low-level light therapy enhanced the ease of subsequent fat removal, reducing operative times and improved recovery. It should be noted that this is a fundamentally different technique from laser-assisted liposuction, which uses a high-powered ND YAG laser introduced through a cannula via fiber-optic cable to directly vaporize fat. Low-level light therapy has also been used as an independent, non-invasive modality in body contouring. A summary of the clinical data is presented in Table 2. Table 2. Clinical trials of low-level light therapy alone for body contouring quantifiable objective measures only. This table summarizes the data from 10 clinical trials in which seven report that the use of low level light therapy resulted in significant reductions in fat deposits relative to the controls. And three studies found no significant differences. A number of proprietary laser-based low-level light therapy devices emitting light at the red and near infrared end of the spectrum have been investigated for their effect on the subcutaneous fat deposits of the abdomen, buttocks, thighs and arms by way of clinical trials and case series. Four randomized controlled trials, two large retrospective series and one small prospective cohort study concluded that laser-based low-level light therapy was effective in reducing subcutaneous fat deposits whereas one randomised control trial and two small prospective split abdomen cohorts did not find any significant differences. Although industry funding and or methodologic flaws were common features of several of these studies, the evidence was overwhelmingly favourable. Interestingly, one study used LED-based light as the sham control. There remains a lack of evidence to support the role of LED-based low-level light therapy in body contouring. The physiologic effects of low-level light therapy in combination with weight loss strategies such as resistance training have also been investigated. Following a preclinical study which demonstrated that a combination of exercise and low-level light therapy improved lipid markers and total body fat in excess of that produced by exercise alone in rats consuming a high-fat diet. In a study of 36 young obese women randomized to receive physical training plus post-exercise low-level light therapy at 808 nanometers or sham control, the low-level light therapy cohort exhibited significantly higher post-exercise levels of the adipine, adiponectin and significantly reduced pro-inflammatory cytokine, interleukin-6 levels and neck circumference. They further demonstrated greater improvements in cardiometabolic risk factors, including overall percentage body fat, waist and hip circumference, and relatively greater improvements in insulin resistance. LED-based low-level light therapy has also been studied for use with a phosphatidylcholine-based anticellulite gel with some evidence of improved cellulite in 8 of the 9 patients treated with a active combination compared with none treated with LED-based Low level light therapy alone. Finally, low level light therapy is a component of a number of proprietary body contouring systems which also use ultrasound, radio frequency, suction, and massage. Discussion. Photobiomodulation is essentially a function of energy absorption by the target photoacceptor and the subsequent cascade of biochemical events manifesting as desirable outcomes at a tissue level. The majority of clinical evidence in support of low-level light therapy is based on laser light and the red and or near-infrared end of the visible spectrum. Although there's some evidence to suggest that the physiologic responses induced by red and near-infrared light are not the same, low-level light therapy based on light in the wavelength range of around 620 to 810 nanometers is often considered to be a single clinical entity, Blue light has dissimilar photobiomodulatory effects, a fact that can be exploited for the management of acne vulgaris. But beyond this, the role of blue light in isolation appears limited. However, it may be hypothesized that the biochemical cascades initiated by a single monochromatic or near monochromatic light source may be augmented by the addition of a second light source of a different wavelength and energy density. One study found that a combination of blue and red light was more effective in the management of mild to moderate acne vulgaris than blue light alone. And it's intriguing to speculate that appropriately targeted combination therapy might yield further clinical benefits. From a commercial point of view, combination light therapy with LEDs emitting light of different wavelengths has proved versatile and attractive. However, most of the evidence in support of this commercial strategy is extrapolated. The issue of enduring interest is whether laser and LED light induce equivalent physiologic responses. Although there is evidence to support the role of LED-based low-level light therapy in the management of facial ritids in particular, for certain conditions including dyschromias, acne vulgaris, wound healing and body contouring, most of the plausible peer review evidence uses lasers as a light source. And hence we need to understand the role of coherence, polarity, pulsatility and the speckle phenomenon on this physiologic cascade. Together, these features may explain experimental evidence to suggest that when all other factors are controlled for, laser light is more effective in deeper target tissue to the extent that one of the randomized controlled trials of low-level light therapy for body contouring actually used LED-based light at a similar wavelength in the control arm of the study. Because blue light is absorbed superficially, the speckle phenomenon isn't relevant here. Thus, a combination of blue LED light and red or infrared laser light might offer unique advantages. Moreover, as insufficient energy density is clinically ineffective and excessive density initiates the mitochondrial apoptotic pathway, further clinical optimization of the energy parameters for each indication is required. Although the physiologic basis of low-level light therapy for facial rejuvenation Acne, vulgaris, and wound healing are easy enough to understand within the paradigm of mitochondrial stimulation, ATP production, increased cell metabolism, and the maintenance of a constitutively anti-inflammatory dermal microenvironment. The roles of low-level light therapy play in body contouring, and the treatment of alopecia deserve special consideration because they're incompletely understood. Several plausible explanations have been put forward to explain how low-level light therapy interacts with adipocytes. The physiologic basis for the use of low-level light therapy in the management of alopecia may or may not invoke atp production and upregulated cellular metabolism either way there's work to be done for the science to catch up with the clinical demand this paper has a number of limitations the study represents an attempt to cover a huge breadth of the clinical literature in a single digestible source as such many of the nuances and developmental contexts have been neglected in favour of a strict focus on the best of the clinical evidence. Although some of the pertinent preclinical data have been included to provide context, the preclinical examination is by no means comprehensive here. To put it simply, a vast body of preclinical work exists to inform our understanding of low-level light therapy and a comprehensive overview of these data would overwhelm the focused clinical message. Secondly, the clinical evidence is simply too disparate to submit to any meaningful meta-analysis hence the narrative structure of the review. Moreover, the quality of the source studies varied, but methodologic flaws including controls, blinding, numbers needed to treat, confounding variables and industry funding are common features of these studies we have at our disposal in attempting to draw meaningful conclusions. Additionally, for some of the therapeutic indications such as vitiligo, the supporting clinical evidence is provided by a small pool of researchers and it would be more reassuring if these findings were replicated by others. Finally, the proprietary nature of low-level light therapy devices used means that we're seldom comparing like with like when we use the umbrella term low-level light therapy. Low-level light therapy and the FDA. In the United States, the FDA has regulatory jurisdiction over medical devices and classifies them by risk into class 1, 2, 3, where class 1 devices represent the lowest risk. Class three devices require FDA approval, and this is a rigorous process requiring proof of efficacy and safety. Whereas class one and two devices, which co- uh, encompass both LED and laser-based low-level light therapy devices, may apply for pre-market approval, which also requires proof of efficacy and safety or pre-market notification, otherwise known as an 510 clearance on account of section 510 k of the Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act of 1938, which is merely an acknowledgement that the device is substantially equivalent to similar legally marketed devices and does not require these proofs. Low-level light therapy devices for body contouring were subject to a 510K clearance in 2011. As of 2019, 47 devices had FDA 510K clearance to be marketed for the treatment of androgenic alopecia. Although clinical and commercial sources alike refer to FDA approval, in the context of low-level light therapy for aesthetic indications, they do in fact mean FDA clearance. Conclusions Photobiomodulation by the non-thermal irradiation of tissue with laser or LED-derived light is backed by enough experimental and clinical evidence that it is here to stay Red and near-infrared light exhibits the potential to rejuvenate the skin, reduce focal adiposity, heal cutaneous wounds, and induce hair regrowth by upregulating cellular metabolic processes with enhanced mitochondrial ATP synthesis, differential gene expression, and the maintenance of a constitutively anti-inflammatory dermal and pilosebaceous microenvironment. The addition of blue light induces bactericidal oxid- oxidation of porphyrin synthesized by propionibacterium acnes residing within the pylospacious unit. Although clinical trials provide some evidence for efficacy, especially with regards to body contouring and skin rejuvenation, the clinical literature lags well behind the commercial exploitation. Well designed, adequately powered, and independent clinical trials will help us answer some of the unresolved questions. Supplemental material. This article contains supplemental material located online at www.aestheticsurgeryjournal.com Acknowledgements The author would like to thank Ms. Anuska Hardass and Mr. Abdul Suleiman, librarians at Citra Medicine for their invaluable help in performing literature searches and sourcing the papers used to compile the study. Disclosures Dr. Glass is a consultant for Lima Life, London, United Kingdom a dietary supplement and wellness company. Funding. The author received no financial support for the research, authorship and publication of this article.